0: Right now, I'd like you to take a minute and imagine this scenario. I live in Florida, in the southeast area of the United States. I like it here. We have good weather most of the time, which means I can get out and bike almost every morning year-round. My area is highly populated, so anything I need is readily available. Grocery stores always stocked with food, lots of doctors and hospitals for medical care, and paved roads so I can drive my car anywhere I want. And if I need to go any distance, I have a major international airport about 20 minutes from my house. And like most Americans, I tend to take those things for granted. Then one night, a large group of rebel fighters, heavily armed, lands on Clearwater Beach. They start going through the residential neighborhoods, throwing rocks through windows, setting houses on fire. People wake up in confusion, not understanding why they're hearing explosions and gunfire. Parents grab their children and run outside to escape their burning home, only to be shot to death in their front yard. News spreads quickly by social media and by friends and family members calling to warn each other about what's happening. I get a phone call and realize we need to get out of the area as quickly as possible. My mom lives close by, so I call her and tell her quickly what's happening and that we'll pick her up in about 10 minutes. Then we frantically try to decide what to bring. For me, this would be very difficult. Whenever I go on a trip, I have a checklist of things way ahead of time to make sure I don't forget anything. Now I have just a few minutes to decide what to grab. Our dogs, obviously. My laptop, some clothes, a toothbrush. But how do you even decide what to bring when you don't know where you're going or how long you'll be gone? I don't even know how much gas is in my car. But we're able to escape and we drive north. After about seven hours in the car, we get to Atlanta. What we find is a large area where makeshift tents have been set up for the people who were forced to flee the state of Florida. This is where we live now. Our life is a tent community of Florida refugees, and we can never go back to where we used to live. For Americans, this sounds pretty far-fetched. We don't really think about a situation like this because it just doesn't happen here. But for my guest today, Dee, it's not just a made-up story. Dee lived with his parents and his siblings in a refugee camp in a village called Gatumba. This is in the country of Burundi in Africa. Their community was attacked one night, and the violence that was carried out was so vicious, it made worldwide news. Even to this day, that massacre is what the village of Gatumba is known for. Dee witnessed some horrific things that night, and he was only five years old. And a note about listening. Dee speaks fluent English, but he still has that strong African accent. If you'd like to listen while reading the words on the screen, you'll find the full transcript of our conversation at whatwasthatlike.com. Slash 102. Real people in unreal situations.
1: There is a man standing in front of me in my bedroom.
2: friend has been shot. I'm in the literally inside the river, and I'm inside my car. He had told me multiple times that he was going to set himself on fire. If
3: you say my name or try to look at me, I'm gonna kill you.
2: And he was just sobbing. He said, Mom, Mom, tell me you're gonna be okay. And I jumped on the hood of the car, and I held on. And I looked into the garage, and he was hanging from the rafters.
0: I had somebody standing on my neck.
2: He's better to me dead. I want him dead.
0: I'm Scott Johnson, and this is is What Was That Like? Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top click on Try Free, and you're in. On Android, just go to WhatWasThatLike.com/plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad, and then on with today's episode.
1: then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
3: You go by the nickname D. Yes. How do you actually say your first name? My first name is uh, D'Adoné. It's a French name. Most people cannot pronounce it because it's a pretty not common name, I would say. But people call me D more than my actual name. Like, I'm so used to it that. Much easier, for sure. Way yeah. easier, yeah.
0: Before this happened, would you say your early childhood was pretty normal?
3: Yes, I would say it was a, it was a very, I wouldn't say I was spoiled, but was a, I had a very good life. I was very happy. I was never, ever, like, um, feeling down. I just, I was always, every day was a good day. I had two loving parents that I really loved. that was well, just a very, very happy moment in my life, yeah.
0: And you were born in DRC, which is the Democratic Republic of Congo in Africa, and then later your family moved to Burundi, which is not just a different city, but a different country. Can you explain that? Why did you? Why did
3: the family move? There's a thing uh, in Africa, in the Congo, there's a lot of uh, tribes, there's a lot of tribes, a lot, a lot of tribes, like over like can't stop anybody, there's a lot of tribes and those tribes that most of them don't really get along. My dad raised me in a way, or raised uh, as his kids that way to love everybody. We just love every single human being. We love all people. Like my dad a to house where like uh, he would welcome students, many many students so come stay at our house, come go school at our house. Everyone was welcoming. Most most, most people do not like them. They didn't really call them completely because they... The scene that they talked about, they talked about like by people from Rwanda. So they were, they would like, they were always kicked out, like, being kicked out of Congo to go to a different country or to be kicked out of Congo to go to, like to just to not, to not be in Congo pretty much. And then one, some of them decided to go to a neighboring country called Burundi where there were like, a refugee camp there. And for some reason, uh, my, uh, my parents moved there too they wanted to move there. To stay with the people there, to look maybe to look for a better life, I guess. This is kind of a foreign
0: concept for us here in America. So you had to leave where you were born and where your family was living, and you lived. You moved to this other country and lived in a refugee camp in a tent.
3: In a tent, yeah. Gatumba, it's a it, it's a literally like the border of right beside the border of Congo. So it's not in Congo, but it's like right after you leave the border of Congo. So it's like right there, which is not really the safest thing to do. So the refugee camp was right there. And then people from Congo can come anytime because we can see the border from where we were. If you look very close, you can see the border of Congo. And now you're in Burundi, but it was literally, it wasn't really like you could walk to the border or to Katumba. It wasn't that far at all. And who was in your family at this time? So at this time, I had uh, two older brothers. With them, uh, My older, my oldest one was uh, Andre, and then they were Remy, and then they were me. And then I had a younger sister uh, named uh, Biamo. And then at the time, my mom was pregnant, but I had no idea. I didn't know at the time she was pregnant. She was pregnant, but I think it was like seven months pregnant. But I didn't know that at the time because I was five. So I was already looking at that or paying attention to that kind of stuff.
0: Right. You were five years old. You don't really notice Stuff like that
3: Exactly yeah
0: Okay so there were Your mom and dad And four kids So three boys And one girl Yes And the The baby that hadn't been Born yet Born yes And you were five years old Friday August 13 2004 What happened on that day?
3: August 13 was uh, So uh, I want to say normal, which is one of those days that it's like not regular, but just it felt a bit off, a bit weird.
0: Here in the U.S., and maybe it's worldwide, Friday the 13th, whenever the 13th of the month falls on a Friday, it's considered to be
3: unlucky or something odd. Do you guys think that as well? We do not, know, no, not in Africa, no. Like, I've heard of that, I'm moving to but I've heard of stuff because, like, I'm raised here, yeah, but, like, I'm aware of that. I'm aware that thirteen is an unlucky number. Yes, and it's not really a thing back home. No, I wouldn't say that people are scared of that number. No. Okay, but something just felt kind of off that day. Yeah, it just it felt really. I don't know. Just sometimes like your body knows something is not right, you know. But it was just we're just eating at the last meal of the day was like around at the. I think around nine ish or eight. we did eating last meal that last meal, and then I was a kid that like I don't know. I was very close with my dad, so like I would like him to feed me. I don't know why. So he would always feed me, and then I'll i mean, will be close to him, and he would talk. But um, my sister, my sister, was there, and me and her, we talked a bit. But we didn't, but we were like we were like I look. I loved her so much. We were like best friends, and she would always. Got me in ways like on my back. If I do something like around the house, she will always be, say it's her instead of me so that I don't get in trouble and she knows that she won't get in trouble. Else, and then she will say it's her, you know, because my dad or oh, my mom will not be mad at her it be mad at me anymore because I'm the boy, the boy that gets in trouble and all that. So she will say it's her who did stuff, even though it's me who did it. Yeah, my dad that day he fit me because I like I, like I'm fitting me. I don't know why I, I was always like, a, I was there to myself. But, um, Um, but I remember like we were going to uh we were going to to bed at this time uh, like around 10-ish. People were not really sleeping, like we're not we're not all sleeping. Some people were still awake outside, still talking and stuff like that. And we were all just we're all sleeping in our beds and stuff, and Oh, I think I was already passed out. I think I was already gone, I was already asleep. But we just started hearing gunshots outside. We started hearing gunshots uh, and all that. And my mom would ask my dad, like, those are gunshots. My dad would say, no, those are, are just hunters, or probably people trying to uh, kill some cows and stuff like that, or wild animals. I was like, no, those are actual gunshots outside. And we saw I, my mom, I think she just ran outside with my sister. My sister, she ran outside. And my other brother, I don't know where he, he ran, but he was not there. And my oldest brother, he wasn't sleeping. with us, he was doing. like with the other guy friends, like in their own tent. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. So in that tent it was all in me and my dad left. And then I remember, I remember it was uh he was just he was looking at me and I'd I never at that time I'd never seen my dad cry. I'd never seen him sad and anything like that. I remember just seeing him there. It was just it was like it was as if he was trying to like uh to come to me, but I was wondering well, like, why isn't he getting up? Was like he, cause he was doing this, like you know, how soldiers, they crawl when they have gears on their head, on the back, so they they don't like they don't crawl with the knees, but they just crawl with their they post themselves with their with their arms, you know. So he was doing that, but he, I feel, I could tell he was in pain. I could tell he was just uh, it was really hard for him to do that. But he just kept telling me like, uh go see mom, run to mom, run to mom." But I didn't know at the time that he was uh, he was shot. He was shot on the. In the hip area, like uh, on your on your waist here. So when you get shot, there usually like you get paralyzed. At, immediately, you know you can walk after that. You just fall, or if you're if you're lying, you won't get back up because that's it. You're paralyzed right there. So you could like I didn't know that then, but like I was wondering walk. Why isn't it getting up? Why isn't any faster? He was just stuck there, and for some reason, I don't know why. Even now, I still regret. I don't know why I left him. I don't know why I ran. Like I can really regret running from him. I regret not staying there with him. I just I wish I stayed there with him. I was think like if I stayed there with him, maybe he would be here today. But some reason I ran. I ran and I. I would usually hear helicopters going by. I would see them flying by and oh it's a helicopter and then I would hear the sound of a helicopter as I was running in Gatumba. I heard something that sounded like an helicopter, so I thought it was helicopter. I was looking, at like, an a helicopter, but did not a helicopter. There, but I didn't know what it was then. But it's actual machine guns, uh, automatic automatic machine guns. So like they don't they don't stop the the sound. They just keep going like an helicopter. So I thought it was helicopter, but no, those were actual like actual automatic automatic guns, which sounds similar. I don't know why, but it sounds similar because an helicopter It's like with the blades and all that. Because of the continuous firing. Continuous firing, yes. Yeah. So they don't like, it's just over and over. You know, it's like, there's no breaks between them. So like, I really thought, and I caught about like a question. It was very dark. I was just running, running. I saw so many bodies. I don't know why I saw so many bodies. People were crying. People were yelling. I on the bodies. I uh, saw brains, people's brains on the floor. Blood was splashing everywhere. For some reason, it's as if my mouth was open, but blood was my mouth. I tasted blood, actual sure human blood. No, I think at, at this time I was alone. I wasn't, I was, I didn't meet up with them yet. You know what I mean? So I was running alone. I, I didn't meet up with my, my brother, my sister. So I, I was alone at this time first. I met up with them after. As I was running, I was by myself and I witnessed, I witnessed uh I witnessed rape, like I saw I heard words of a woman being raped. And seeing that at five years old, I didn't know what was going on at the time, but like I could tell that she was she didn't want what was happening to her. She was just in pain. She was crying. She was just screaming that so that he doesn't kill her. He can do what he's doing, but just don't kill her. Spare her life. And I didn't know what was going on at the time, but I know now that it was rape. She was being raped by a couple of guys. (sighs) Rape is something that just scares me. Does it? I don't really like hearing about rape, or someone's capable of that, even to this day. It's a miracle as as I'm still running. I meet up with my brother and my sister. My brother Remy and my sister. Then he holds me, and I start asking him, "Like, where's mom? I want to see my mom." And my sister at the time, she was just, she was very quiet. She was just my brother was carrying her. She was carrying on his shoulder. And then I remember looking at her, she was very calm and just there. I wish I had talked to her, but I didn't talk to her. I just I looked at her but I didn't send anything to her. But I could tell she was awake, she was alive, she was just there. I didn't know that was the last time that I would ever look at her or that I would ever see her looking back at me. I just wish that I talked to her, I said anything to her, but I didn't. we as we're walking to run away, we meet up with uh, some soldiers. Nobody like soldiers, but the people that would kill people. And my brother thought he was scared but I didn't know what's going on. I didn't know who they were, but he knew who they were. They were the bad people. The ones that one's the good people. My parents just said we're innocent. They were kids. We don't know what's going on. And my son Miracle, they just let us go. They let us, okay, keep going. Don't come back. Keep running. Don't come back. Well, don't look back, I guess. But we just remember at the time, we didn't know that my sister. Was injured. She was shot, but she was shot in the like in the lower side of the uh, of the the stomach here. And then she just went so long without the medical attention and anything like that. So the bullet just sat there in her, and then it slowly killed her. But we didn't know that she was dead. We thought she was sleeping, but she was, she was already gone. She was already dead. After this, after my my son was dead, we didn't know. I don't know, most of it's blurry after this, but I don't know how. Or what happened But we ended up at the hospital? I don't know how we got there, but we just appeared. I feel like we just appeared there for some reason. The next morning, they found uh, my mom. My mom was, uh, she was in good shape at all. She was laying there with her, some of her intestines out the uh, insides of her out and at the time she was pregnant. And some people really thought like this woman is dead, she's not alive. She so just take her with the dead people and go bury her. Cause and some people and some people were like, no, she's alive. Let's just go see if she's alive. But some people know like, she's definitely dead. Or her things or her, her insides are out. Her baby is can dance a baby but we can tell the baby is uh, is definitely dead also. But they took her, I uh, took her to the hospital and my other brother was looking for us, but we had found out that we were at the hospital. And then they asked him, just so you saw your, your family members like, yeah, that's my, my, my two brothers, my sister and my mom. And the nurses were just amazed. They were like, how, how is she alive? They couldn't explain how she could be alive after all that. She was shot in the leg, So like one of her legs was literally broken, couldn't walk. And she was shot right in the middle, right under the belly button here with a baby in the stomach. So we don't know, no one can ever explain how that happened or how she's alive. And that bullet that went through her stomach here was never found. They never saw where it went and they could never trace it. But the one in the leg, they go find it. They took it. They took it out. As we're in the hospital this whole time, my brother had to go identify my identify one of the bodies that they found, which was my dad. They found him outside a tent where we were sleeping. So that means that he crawled all the way out the tent. Then he was really burnt. He was burnt from like the waist. From the head, someplace in the head, in the back, he was just burnt. He was uh, trying to escape, but he was just... It haunts me that knowing that he died in pain, he was in so much pain when he died. He was in so, so much pain, he was in...
0: And the reason he was burnt was because they set the tent on fire?
3: The people that were doing that, they had gas with them. Yeah, just some they set a tent on fire, they they threw gas on people and burnt them alive. Yeah, they were just and the bullets that they were shooting people, they're not just those small bullets. Those bullets, those long bullets. They really came to kill, they didn't came to injure As they came to eliminate everybody that was there. They didn't come to just to jerk around or no, they came to kill whatever they say. They those weren't small bullets now. They were actual those long big bullets. We're talking about machines, guns. So those are really serious, serious machines. So like they were burning the tents and then they were throwing gasoline on fire so that people can burn. And the, the victims that were coming for they were really, they killed more women and children or than men. They were really coming to, I don't know if they were coming for women more, but they killed more women and children. A lot of, uh, some women were pregnant also. A lot of women were found with the baby out of them. So imagine a woman is pregnant. A person came, or oh, the became, they caught her, took the baby out of her, and then killed her, killed the baby also. It sounds like it's from a movie, but this actually happened. I have a hard time believing it too, but like, I was there, I witnessed it, so like I cannot, I can't say there was a movie because I witnessed it, I saw it, what happened. So my dad was found was uh, burned in the back and you know, all that, burned the friend. and he saw that yeah he was shot in the waist side, so he couldn't walk. He was crawling to go outside, and knowing that I was the last person that saw him, and the fact that I, I couldn't help him, couldn't stay there with him, it haunts me to this day. Knowing that I was the last person who saw him and I left him there. That it just it think that did I kill him? That am I the one at fault here? That I abandon, abandon, my father, a person who I loved so much, who raised me to be a good person. But at five years
0: old, you wouldn't have been able to help him.
3: Of course not, but I think it's that five years old, you think you're so strong, you think you're the strongest person in the world, you know. I got a nephew who's five today, he's five now, he's Genesis, and looking at him, I'm like, I was that age, so like, there's no way I could have done that. He's like, this small, he's like, and he says, D, look at me, I'm so strong, I'm a Superman, I'm like, wow. He's, he makes me like, like, okay. I, I'm just like, okay, yeah, you're strong, you're strong, you're very strong. You know, at five years old, you think you're the strongest person in the world. You think you're so strong. And I was just thinking like, what did not I help him? Why didn't I carry him with me or pull him? I just try to pull him. I just left him there and started running away.
0: Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read. And I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. A little bit each day adds up and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing, two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels And thankfully, that's all backed up by science, and all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature, and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try.
1: Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic
4: at seed.com slash what, code 25what.
0: I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy or go wild and have CookUnity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing.
1: Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of CookUnity. Go to cookunity.com what, or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what, or going to cookunity.com what.
2: Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out the Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh, stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams.
3: At the hospital, my mom she was doing okay, but she, the baby kept growing in her stomach and they kept trying to close where the, the bullet went and uh, operate her to close it. But the mo- moment the baby moved or she kicked or she moved a bit, that would, whatever, whatever they closed, they just had to it again, close it again. So I think about it. If she moved, the baby kicks a bit, that just opens again. It was just a hard, process and the baby was exposed most of the time outside and they just didn't know that they didn't know if they could save both of them so they asked my brother we are not sure if you could save both of them but we got some papers for you to sign here you can choose who you'd like to save either your mom or your sister because we don't think we can save both he just told them no, I would not decide. He walked away. I would not, I would not choose who I wanna kill or I wanna murder. God will decide that just do what you can and God will God will decide what happens. Not me. I'm not I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna take that as sin against me because we're raised Christians. My mom she's a very to this day she's a very, very religious person. I remember growing up, looking at her, I'm like, this person is so religious, like, she's really into God. She would always sing gospel songs, uh, always, like, the happiest person. She was so happy. She was really, really happy. I never once saw her in a bad mood or her crying, never. She was always extremely, extremely happy. So, like, seeing her on that stage. At a time, like, I, I couldn't go to my mom. Very much, I could see her for a few seconds, and they have to take me out. If my brother, even if he went to go see her, he like they they would tell him, "Do not tell her about your father. Do not tell her about your little sister." And they would turn the something. Like at a time, they even tell. They were telling me that my father will come back. He's just at the hospital. He's in Kenya. Kenya is a country in Congo, in Africa. Sorry. And some people that went to my were also flew in to Kenya. They flew them there so they can get operated there. And some mm-hmm. went to the hospital because the hospital just got full at the moment. People went through this. Some people, they were taken out of another country to go get a, to the hospital. So they were telling us that our dad, my dad is in Kenya. But I knew that he was in Kenya. I knew that he died. And... For some reason it's a, it was as if I believed them, I want to believe them. oh that like, okay, let's just let me believe them. Maybe he maybe he did. survive. maybe he did. I should go in Kenya. But your mom didn't know anything about that. She had no idea. She, it was as if she was in a coma in a way, you know? But not sure of that, but like, I don't think I put a pregnant woman in coma, but she, she they she didn't want that to be spoken beside her because if she freaks out or she gets scared. That's a chance of killing her and a baby at the same time. So they wanted to avoid that at all costs, not to scare her, not to spook her in a way. You know what I mean? Because she was very, very sensitive.
0: This is such an unusual situation. I mean, for her to be shot in the stomach, yeah. I mean, for her to survive is amazing, but then for the baby to survive as well. And now she's in the hospital not knowing that her husband. And her daughter have died, and well, it's just such an uh, such a bizarre situation.
3: That's the thing that the nurse says well, so some of them they know what they were doing, but it was just like, this is something that I don't think I would ever say again in my in my whole career because they couldn't explain how she's alive. The baby is healthy. Not a single scratch on her. Nothing touched her. She was a complete, complete healthy baby. She was just okay. She was perfect, you know. Some nurses couldn't explain that. It was just how, how it was possible, how how the bullet went in their stomach. How did a bullet, did it curve? Did it disappear? Where did it go? They couldn't find it. They didn't know where it went. They couldn't find it at all. Yeah, so they just they kept telling us never to talk about it in the hospital or close to her, you know, you keep that away from at all cost. So I would go see her sometimes, and they wouldn't let me stay for long. she would look at me, and she would talk to me for, like, oh dear, My want to ask me like, what's your sister? And whenever she asked me about my dad, my sister, they would just take me out. They'd be like, oh, he's gonna go. He's hungry. Oh, he's gonna he's hungry to wait there, and then. October 2nd came and it's a time where they, uh, they were saying, okay, the baby has to come out, the baby's getting way too big. She's a 9 months; she has to come out now. So they took the baby out. The baby came out healthy. She's just a miracle baby. She's alive today. She's 17 years old today. She will graduate this year, high school, class of 2022. When she was born and the nurses, the doctors, Everyone was in tears. They're like, This baby is alive. She's here. Most of them they're they were very religious. They were Christians. They were just saying, We didn't do anything. God did this. God did God brought this baby out because we are not trained to do this. We're not trained to save a baby that was literally in the stomach exposed most of the time she was outside the world most of the time she wasn't really like every time she moved the wound will open and the she, baby will be exposed to the world which is not common you know maybe it's just being somewhere that's warm in this in the womb with her mother but she was the most anxious outside the more she grew the more she opened the more she grew, the more open. so like they were in tears they're just saying maybe is alive the baby is alive and my mother she also became very healthy. They closed it, closed the wound the stomach. Her leg was getting better. So she they taught her how to walk. She had to learn to walk again properly. She had to learn to walk. She started walking normally. She started walking. She's good. She walks normally today. She can not walk for too long. Too too long. But she can walk normally. She can climb the stairs. She can doesn't use a cane, doesn't use any wheelchair, nothing. She's perfectly healthy. She's something that is like uh only god can do that like uh i don't know if, and the thing with my dad is uh he was a person who carried all his belongings like he carried all the documents all our pictures everything about us he carried it so when that happened and they burned down the tents and they burned all the documents Everything that we had about, about us, everything that we had about history, our pictures, our baby pictures, his like pictures, and all of his pictures—they were all burnt. All his clothes were burnt, and no one outside, like his, um, his brothers or his mom, had pictures. He had everything that belongs to him. He has he has all his documents except some pictures of him that were that were even he was in like uh, in a university, but like everything that was about him, he had everything. So like. To this day, as of right now, we do not have a picture of my dad or my sister. We don't have a single nothing about them. It's literally as if they never existed. And there's nowhere I can go. Because usually you see the movies so or you see people, when a loved one passes on, they will go in the family pictures we be like, oh, there really it was. He was like, there's a picture of him. I cannot do that. I can't do that. I can't ever go somewhere and look at a picture of him because we don't have that picture of him. We don't have nothing about him, nothing, nothing at all. I have lost a memory of him. I've lost his face. I don't know what it looked like. I have no idea which which really hurts me because I wish I really knew how he looked like us. So right about late October... We had to tell her, but they used her. Um, I wasn't there, but my brother, my brother had to go talk us. they didn't want me to be to closer. They just told her, um, yeah, uh, your husband is not in Kenya. Your daughter neither. They didn't make it, they passed away, they died. Your husband was shot in the leg, so he was paralyzed and burnt. Your daughter was, uh, I'm so shy, but she didn't make it either. Only uh, three sons and a daughter made it. And you, I remember she was, after I saw her, she was just very, she broke down. She was just very broken. She was very, very lost. But my mom, she's a strong woman. She's a very, very strong woman. She pulled through. But I me, mean, she's never okay. Even today, she even today she's not okay. I'm, I'm trying to think about it every day, cause she says she's even today she's a that was that my dad was her best friend. He was, that was her partner in life. He was the one that was meant for her. He was her best friend. Even, even when I ask about him, like how was he and you know, all that, cause I only got five years with him. I did not you know, I don't know much which also hurts me. I only got five years with him. So whenever I ask about him, how was he? They all, like, I've never heard a bad thing about him. Nothing. He was a great, great person. He was a great loving person. Nothing that I heard about him that was uh, he was a bad person. Nothing. Nothing that he was a great person. Everyone liked him. Everyone loved him. And Just to have no memory, nothing about him that I can look and, and see that's him. Nothing of that. So she's been like, shh, she was just lost. That was her best friend, so close. They were really happy. They were extremely, extremely happy. I remember a day that I ever saw my mom crying or in tears. Never, she was always just in a good mood, always extremely happy, helping out the neighborhood, always helping out the people that you need. Same as my dad, they were really the ones they were really into helping others, they were really into providing for others in need, people that don't have much, and they would help out, uh, give food, give clothes. They were really doing that, the work of the work for God. Uh, it's uh, um, so like after all that, we were there until like late September, we went we moved to move to a uh another neighboring uh, refugee camp in uh, very far from Gatumba, we were there for a few a few a few months few years so United nations had asked us uh, to reside in Canada to move to Canada a city uh, called Winnipeg Manitoba we said yes and most people move uh, multiple people were taken to the to the states uh, people were taken to a uh, uh, Chicago and uh, you know New York City. People also were taken to into Canada. Some were taken to Alberta, Ontario, or New Brunswick, Manitoba. As we went to uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, which was a it was a very very cold place. It was extremely cold.
0: Yeah, that's got a. I was just thinking, you come from Africa, one of the hottest places in the world. Yeah. And going to Canada, which is one of the coldest, yeah, that had to be so such a shock. It was a big shock, yeah. But so this was the a program f- with the, the United Nations. The United Nations was placing political refugees at other places just for for protection for safety.
3: Yeah. So like they were the ones that were providing safety at Katumba. They were the ones that were protecting us there, but they felt that that protection didn't protect us there. We were attacked there. So not, like to, not like to, to to help us or to pay, pay us back, but they just want to offer better protection to move people away like different countries if that will help better. You know what I mean? Because in other nations, they were the ones that were supposed to protect us in Guatemala, they, the they were supposed to be this umbrella for us. Uh, they, they felt that that they miserably felt that, that they didn't they help us, uh, burden us in that way. So then we came and looked at the people that were the survivors and want to give them better life away from all that, just leave all that behind.
0: How did you feel about that? Leaving the only country you had ever known mm-hmm. to come to Canada. I mean, your your mom and the kids were you guys all okay with that?
3: I'm pretty sure they were all okay with it. Yeah, they were all okay with it because I guess it you, you felt safer and we were aware that that won't happen again here. You know what happened, but I could say that I at first I was like, yeah, let's probably go, you know. And this is like this is when I'm like I'm probably I'm eight eight seven nine here, you know. To so we went to Winnipeg. We moved there. And, you know, she said, yeah, it was cold. I guess it was cold. And I remember just I, I didn't like being around people much. I was scared of people now. I, default, I developed this uh thing where I didn't like being in large crowds. I didn't want to like being uh, around a lot of people that I'm not, I don't know who they are or they're not family. Even today, I still, I still have that f- phobia, I guess. I don't like being around people. If a Winnipeg would come out, usually leave, I go in the room and I'll just hide there, but I remember just not being uh, comfortable in school or if, or if I go at separate teams and all the activities that they did not like being being watched or by people, being around a people. So I would always like being alone, but no one understood that. No one understood how I felt. I couldn't really tell them that uh, how I felt. I'm a person i have doing this this thing where like, I like uh, teaching myself more than being taught stuff. So I will learn on my own. I will learn myself. I don't teach myself stuff. You know, that. there's some people teaching me, but I had this nightmare where like, I'll see see people suffering in the world. And I always think it's white, why isn't everybody there helping people? Like, why isn't there people there helping others that they need? You know, there are people watching other people crying or people suffering, but I'm sure that we're not a, like I'm not the only nice person out here because I'm raised to be a nice person, I was raised to be a caring person. Why is it like that? Okay. Most of the time, I would think of my dad, I would see like, oh, man, like I left that person there, like, I, why didn't I save them? Why didn't I go back and he with him, And that would always hunt me. Like sometimes, even you know, it still hunts me. That I blame myself for that. Like I think I'm my fault for that. And like, I don't, I don't talk about, I don't talk much about myself often. So like no one has ever told me like, oh, you're not a fault. It's not your fault. No, 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 that's it's, 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 you're a five. But there's things, there's days, there's days where I think it's my fault. And I'm the one who caused that. I didn't go back for him. I didn't stay there with him, and like I wish that it was me instead of him. And like my younger sister, like I just wish that she got to experience life. I wish like she actually got to explore life. Like at four years old, have you having your life taken away like that, like out of the blue, you know? So I remember, I remember being like really mad with God. I was I really hated God at the, at the moment. I really really hated him like. Cause I was taught, I was taught at a young age that God is a good person, is a good, uh, good being. He loves you, he loves everybody, and all that. And I was looking at him like you are an evil person. I, I want nothing to do with you. I don't want to talk to you ever again. You killed a kid. a foiled. That did nothing to you. Like she was just there, and you took her away. You took her away. Like why did you leave me? Like am I better than her? You like, know. So I was, I was very mad with God. I really hated him. These are a lot of
0: mental issues that it seems like you would be helped by therapy. Have you had counseling or therapy at all to help you with this?
3: Uh, the thing the thing with therapy, even at the time, I didn't know what therapy was, I thing, because therapy isn't really a thing in the African culture. Therapy is like, it's not that we, we don't talk about it, we just, it's not, doesn't exist. It's not there, it's not accessible, like even you see the whole Africa continent, if you in Google a attract in Africa, I'm sure you would have nothing. It's not. It's nothing, there's no talk about, it's not talk about, it's, just, it's not It's unknown, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm not about it now, but like, I never really got taught about it or ever felt it or that I needed it. But I'm doing better, you know, because I've seen people and the people that were, that were survivors from Gatumba. there are people even today that lost both parents, you know they were parents that lost all kids they're just parents left so like i'm doing good with, i'm doing good with god now i'm going on good terms with god i uh, have god has helped me to see that to notice that even though you lost a lost your father you know sister but there's people out there that lost both parents you got a parent that loves you still she's there for you there's kids out there that are alone there's people that i mean, that, that live in edmonton alberta there's two there's three. Four girls and two boys that loves both parents. They're just there. There's people that, just, you know, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. God provided that with me. God helped me through that. We we have all united. We have all helped each other. We talk about this stuff every August 13th of every year. It's the 17th year this anniversary
2: this year. Hey, my name's Otis Gray Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However, you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. I'll confess, sometimes I let my
0: podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind. But there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue. That's the Jordan Harbinger show. That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? Because Jordan's conversations are always a must-listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of. Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. You might know that name if you're into true crime. He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start, or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Scott. Did you know we offer a premium feed of this show that is completely ad-free and there are bonus episodes? Go to whatwasthatlike.com plus, or just click the link in the show notes of any episode to learn more and to sign up. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can sign up right there in the app by clicking Try Free at the top of the episode list. And I hope to see you in the premium feed soon.
3: So my two brothers, they are married. Yes, they they both uh, have kids. My oldest brother, Andre, the coolest thing that happened is his wife was also in Gatunba. His wife lost her mother in Gatunba. So he, he married a woman named Beatrice, she's uh, just the most wonderful, beautiful sister-in-law that i could ever ask for. She's wonderful, you know, like I love her, she's a great person. She loves her mother in Gothenbaos also, and uh, we all united at the what's in Canada. She, they, they, when they came they moved to uh, Newfoundland and Labrador and we moved to Winnipeg when So, like, we somehow we got to connect, contact it, and we are, oh, yeah, you were there, and all that. Did they know each other back in Gatumba? They did not know. They met after Gatumba. After we moved to another place in, in Burundi. They met there. And then we all just like, got separated. Some people to the US and, and they were sent to Newfoundland. So, he married her. So, like, uh, there's a, a well known history with that. They know each other very, very well. They've been through the same thing, you know that. So,
0: do you all live near each other so that you can see your nieces and
3: nephews and brothers? So when I moved to Winnipeg, we moved, moved to uh, Edmonton, Alberta, which is still Canada. We were there for a while. We we all moved there. We all I mean we all lived there for and all that. I went to high school there. In my early high school years. I'd worked at a restaurant uh, called McDonald's for a while, for a few years. And while working there, i had met uh i met this really beautiful woman, a uh, beautiful girl named Gloria. She was just very, very like her name says, she's just Gloria. She's she was just very wonderful. She was very uh, she's just one of person that looked at you and she looks at you. You feel very like, wow. She looks at you, she looks at you right in the eyes, like she just opens you or swallows your soul in a way. Very, very uh, glowing. I remember we talked for a while for a few years. We were talking and just, you know, seeing each other and all that. And then I remember she would always ask me, D, you know, we can date, we can date. She would say most of the time, we can date, we can do this, we can date. And I remember I would never answer her. I would just look at her and then I would try to answer, but, I, but that words would not of my mouth. I just, I like, can't. Answer her for some reason. I don't know why at the time, but I just like couldn't answer her. She just said, "We can date. We can do this. You know, we can." I could tell she she was in love with me, and I was I was a really true love. I was in love with her. Like I really loved her, but I don't know why I didn't express that. I wouldn't tell her, you know. But I come to find is like, I'm scared. I'm certainly scared of losing people in my life. I'm scared of if I bring her in my life, there'll be a day that. I will either I will will die or she will die and she'll leave me behind. I will will leave her behind. And that scares me, it scares me losing people. It scares me that when I have to let people go in life, like I mean go as in like they they pass away and that just haunts me. And I just, I wish like a, I wish she understood that I also was in love with her. I wanted to be with her, but I just couldn't answer her. For some reason I couldn't tell her how I felt a reason of uh, someday she can pass away or I will pass away and I have to leave her behind. My mom, like she has days that she like she's not feeling good. You know, we all have those days that we're just down a bit, you know, those feelings. I just look at her like, I tell her like, you, you're so, you're so strong. You're a strong woman. Like you raised three boys on your own. You raised a girl on your own. No one came to help you. You did that all by yourself, and I am so really proud of you. I am so, so proud of you. You are a great woman. You are a great mom, and I'm not saying that you don't, have, you don't have the right to do feel like this, but like we all have this feeling. But like you should be proud of yourself. You did so much for us, and I'm forever grateful for that. Thank you for this life. We all lived in Edmonton for a few years. We were there. I didn't want to be there anymore. It was just too big, too crowded and crowds don't make me i'm not kind of a crowd big crowds so i moved move to a, a smaller city so i looked at new brunswick i moved to new brunswick uh, and since i moved there my whole family came here We can be across uh, each other we've never really lived far from each other we've always been close to each other we've always been uh near each other which is that our family that i like being close to each other we just I Family is, something that I, family is something that I really, really love family. I love my family so much. I think that I wouldn't do for them. We've always been there for each other, and we will always be there for each other. When it comes to my mom, my mom, she's something, someone that I... I'm a, I'm a mom's boy, so, like, I love my mom so very much. She's uh, someone that I really, really uh, honor, like, I... I love her so much, she has done so much for me. Like, There were never a day in my life that, that I felt hunger, that I needed food, that I needed clothes. All that was always there, it was always, I was at clothes to wear, I was at food to eat. And I just asked her like, how do you do all that? Like we always had food, we always had clothes to wear, always under a roof, never a day I I that I felt hunger. never a day that I was wondering like oh, what I eat today. She has always been provided for us. She's such a strong, strong woman. I hate, I hate when I feel like, uh, I hate he hands of me like a uh, knowing that one day it's possible that she will leave me behind, or, and I just don't think that I would ever ever to accept that that she can leave me behind or she can pass away. I would not be able to take that very well. It scares me every day that knowing that it's very possible that she can, she will leave me or she can leave me at any time alone. She'll just, she'll stop me so much in life. I'm so grateful for her. Like there's nothing that I would never do for her. She's just, she's an amazing, amazing person.
0: For your life now, what kind of, what are your
3: hopes and dreams for, for your life? So I've recently told my mom that I wanted to help out, help out uh, outside the world. Like, I want to, like I'm a person that I've always been helping out. I've always been donating to charities. I've always been uh, going to see what the homeless people and just talk to them, talk to them and just be there for them. See how they're doing today. If I could get them anything to eat. you, uh, Scott, you, you recently talked to a person who, uh, who donated his kidney to a, a stranger
0: yeah it was one of my early episodes yeah
3: yes that that man said that he that he feels uncomfortable telling people how uh he has helped people or what he does i'm the same way like i i i would never go out there and say like oh i have this person i don't really to this person i i gave them that makes me feel so uncomfortable like it makes me feel guilty in a way that i'm doing that and I've seen, people, I've seen people out there. They go help out people, homeless people. They go with a phone, or with a camera on. And I'm like, really? You're not really helping. You're not showing people that you're you're doing this. But it's not really for that thing. It's for your viewers or to get thought that you're a good person. That just makes me so uncomfortable. So, like, I want to do this thing that anonymously, where I would help people, provide homeless shelters, provide people in need, and the women that have been abused and women that have been with through a lot in life. There's a lot of women out there that just go through a lot. Like people are like that. People, there's people are like that out there. It haunts me. It's very, it's, it really scares me. I want to help those women. I want to show them that not all men are the same. Cause I've heard uh, many times that women, whenever a woman goes through things like that, she hates men, men or disgusting men or this, but, which, my time's like no, that's not true. We're different. There's nice of us out there. There's one someone the that would actually want to help you, be there with you. For some reason, um, in my life, I've been taught many times that people talk to me and they're just they open up to me. Now I've always wondered like, why is that? Why is that? What do you like? And I ask some people like, why do you always tell me secrets and stuff like that? There's like, do you listen? then you want to talk to you like you actually feel like I'm a person you know, when you ask me how I'm doing you actually mean it how am I doing and I tell you what I'm doing when people ask how you're doing usually they don't they ask you that because it's a common thing they be like hi hi how are you good good. but you you actually ask how are you doing and, um if I'm not okay you say no you don't seem okay what is it so that's that's a person that you are and people have told me that like I actually listen to people and actually care you know so like I get the uh, feedback from people. People tell me that I actually listen. And listen. so I think I'm good for that. And adoption is something that I want to do in life. And I want to have my own kids for sure, yeah. But adopt is also the one of the things that I actually want to do in my life. I want to keep, I take some kids that just out there just the system, the system is pretty, pretty messed up in that way because of kids just end up on the streets also. Or oh, end up very, uh, not taken care of. So I want to help a lot of kids. And if more people can do it, it would be great. If we could, I know we don't think the same way, but if we could all adopt kids, if we could all help the kids that need, then we don't, we would have this problem. We would have a uh, kids that are just going in the streets and growing up in the streets and nowhere to go. The thing that also haunts me or scares me it's seeing me being in my car coming from work like that and I have my heated seats on i have my heater on in a car i'm going home and passing by some homeless people that just it breaks my heart knowing that he's out there in the cold nowhere to go isn't not blanket has nowhere to go but i'm going home i'm going to go in my bed today with my blanket on in the heated home with the heater on he doesn't, he doesn't have that choice. He can't do that. He's stuck there. He always, like, I, I, I usually avoid roads. I don't, I don't pass by them. I don't see them because I know I'm going to start crying. I'm going to stop the car. And I was just tear up because it's so sad knowing that someone is this cold. And Canada is a very cold place. You know, people, they're, just, they're there. They have nowhere to go. They're stuck in the cold. They're just hopeless. It's, it's very hopeless that they're just there. It's as if you no know one cares about them, but like, or you could be eating and you see them just walking in a, around a restaurant, begging for food, and people will like throw things at them or insult them. <sighs> I wish you could all just help out, about the people that we need. It just feels good. Like, I. I have never done any drug in my life. I've never smoked, never done anything like that. But someone telling you thank you. Someone telling me thank you for this. It feels so good like helping out people. And, like that the feeling back that you get, like someone telling you thank you for helping me or thank you for the food. Thank for this change I give it. It's just it's so empowering. It's so like powerful.
0: You know, something that occurred to me, you said you don't have any pictures of your dad and and all you know is what people say about him and about what a wonderful and kind person that he was. And I think the fact that you, with you being such a compassionate person and having such a big heart to help other people, maybe that's probably the way your dad was too. So if you want to know what your dad was like, maybe it's sort of like the way you are today and being compassionate with other
3: people. You know, Scott, my mom, I said the same thing that you said, whenever I talk about things that I want to do in life, she's like, your dad would have loved for you to do that. Your dad did that. Your dad wanted to do that. Cause he did everything that that I'm doing. And I I didn't know most of the things things that I used to go tell him, Oh, Wow, your dad did that. Your dad wanted to do that one day. She just said, like, yeah, that's something that totally. your dad would would have done. And the fact that you're saying it just proves that yes, that you're you're right. You're actually all right. And I have that side of him. I have that part of his heart because he was just a loving person. I've never heard anything bad about him. I never heard that he did this. He did that. He just I've always heard good things that he helped these people. He helped them. He, he raised kids that weren't his kids. He raised, uh, you know, the fact that you also saying it just proves that yes, that's probably true, yes. And for you to be that way, that's how you honor his memory. Yes, yeah. And I'm glad that I, I have that part of him. Like, none of us look like him. Like, but my mom, she she, she was like, oh, you have his futures, you have his uh, fingernails, or you have his finger toes. But, like, none of us actually, like, look, look like him, which is, uh yeah, I mean, he has brothers in the States. He has a brother in uh, in Kentucky. And he doesn't look like him, like, uh, at all. And in the African culture, we don't really, like, I don't say uncle sometimes. So, like, we'll say, we'll call our uncles dads. We'll call them dads, dad, you know. We can't, we don't call them by names, which is it's rude. We don't call them by names. We just call them dad. We... Some people will say uncle because it's a new thing, you know, but like, we, we always call them dad. And then... Recently, when I called my uncle in the States and I was like, I said, uh, Tata, tata, which is a uh, dad in uh, my mother's tongue. I was just like, I felt this shock because I've never, I've said, I haven't said it in so long that I said dad. It's been so long that I've called someone dad. And I just I felt this like a shock. I thought, oh my God, I said that. It's been so long. And everyone's like, yeah, it's been long since you said it.
0: <sighs> I'm sure people are going to be moved by this story. No, no child, no human should go through uh, what you went through. Yeah. Thank you for sharing it. And if if someone wants to contact you, I know you're on Instagram, and you've got email, and uh, we'll have links to that in the show notes for this episode. If anyone wants to get in touch with you,
3: perfect. Thanks. That'd be great. Yeah, and I'm here if, if one needs anyone needs to have to talk to, to talk to me. Ask a question about me or talk about you that you don't... I can help. I'll provide whatever help that you need help with. Uh, That's if I could help you, you know. And I'll be here for you if you need help with anything. If you have any questions about your life or my life, I'll be... glad to help you.
0: Remember the young lady Dee was talking about, Gloria? He's still hoping to connect with her and tell her his true feelings. So, Gloria... If you're listening to this, don't give up on him. Maybe we'll have an update from Dee about that situation at some point in the future. As I got to know Dee prior to recording our conversation, I found out that he's a fan of The Office, like I am. And one of his favorite quotes on that show is from Andy Bernard, when he said this, I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before you left them. A lot of wisdom in those words. Okay, what happens when you take a bunch of podcast listeners and you put them all online in front of a camera? You get the What Was That Like Zoom chat. We've done this a few times now and it's a blast. Last time we played podcast trivia and Laura up in Canada won a What Was That Like coffee mug. This time it's show and tell for the family pets. You like showing off your dog or your cat or your hamster or your snake or your pet skunk well this is your opportunity because we want to see them and i want to make sure you understand the zoom chat is open to everyone all listeners are invited doesn't matter if you're a patreon supporter or not or if you're brand new and you've only listened to a few episodes so far or if you've been listening since episode one you are invited If you're in the listener community, you'll get the invitation with all the meeting details automatically. It's going to be this coming Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you're not already in the listener community, and it's free of course, you can get in at community.whatwasthatlike.com. Otherwise, to get the Zoom information, just email me or contact me through the website, and I'll get you the meeting link and everything. You can get on Zoom with your computer, your tablet, your phone, whatever you want to use, We'll have a great time getting to know each other, maybe talk about the episode you just listened to, and show off our furry friends. So don't forget, it's this Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and I hope to see you there. And a reminder, I'll be at Podcast Movement, a big podcasting conference, in Los Angeles later this month, so if you're going to be there, let's connect. And that brings us to this week's listener story which needs a content warning because it includes a sexual attack. And by the way, if you have a story that's interesting, funny, unusual, or just entertaining in some way, and you can tell it in a few minutes, call it into the podcast voicemail line anytime, day or night, 727-386-9468. Stay safe, and I'll see you in two weeks.
4: This is about a time I felt the most scared I've ever felt in my life. It was 2019 and I had booked a work trip to Istanbul with a director friend. We wanted to film this documentary about the most historic monumental places related to the Turkish Ottoman Empire. And one of our filming spots, spots on our list, was this historic landmark called the Galata Tower, which was the tallest building around the Ottoman Empire, and also showed a bird's eye view of the whole city of Istanbul. So when we arrived at our location to film, we were quite late in the day and the queue of tourists surrounding the tower was insanely long. We decided to call it off. Um, We had supper at this nearby cafe where we came to learn that right next to the Galata Tower is supposed to be this beautiful remote hotel, which was a 400-year-old rickety building and was supposedly the most haunted building in the area. And the tourist guests avoided spending the night at this hotel. So it immediately caught our attention, and we went inside this haunted hotel with my director friend, and we went to the front desk to inquire further, where we came across this rather beautiful concierge in his early 20s, a very Timothy Chalamet lookalike, if anything, and there is a reason I'm mentioning his appearance – Anyway, so we, to- we told him that we didn't want to stay at this hotel, but if he can tell us more about, if he can confirm us about the hauntings, which he did, that it, it indeed was a haunted building, supposedly, especially the third floor of this um, hotel is the one that scares the people away. He kept insisting that we he will give us a very good discount if we booked to stay in his hotel, In his quite charming smile, but obviously um, we were not into this. My director friend wasn't keen to th- about this, but I was very keen to film this third floor because it was, I mean, obviously it caught my attention. So the following day, um, I decided, I went ahead myself, my director called it off, but I mean, I always had a thing for the haunted macabre places. So I went ahead solo and I thought I would film it on my iPhone anyway and edit it in a documentary somehow. It was around sunset when I checked in front desk with our new concierge Uh, acquaintance, and he offered me the high tea menu, which came with the booking. So I had that high tea, and uh, I mean, obviously it was dark outside now, when I asked this concierge to guide me to the dreaded third-floor suite I was there for. The floor itself looked like an ordinary restored old hotel. I mean, the big suite bedroom, which was supposedly the most haunted bedroom in this building, was already ajar, with the very beautiful ambiance, lights on and everything. I mean, I was definitely nervous, uh, but the concierge had this warm, charming smile and I wasn't alone. So I went inside, I immersed myself in filming everything I could about this room, taking selfies, and it took me about 10 minutes to realise that the concierge, Matt, wasn't there. So I had a mini heart attack, obviously. I mean, I didn't know when the hell he took off, so I decided to take my leave as well. I mean, obviously, I didn't want to be alone in this room. Uh, At that point, I realised that the door of the room was locked. I tried to push open the door like with all my force. I mean, I was having a mini heart attack and I naturally started shouting and hammering at this door. At the very far end of this room, the bathroom door opened and out came the concierge. I mean, I started laughing rather relieved because, I mean, obviously, I wasn't alone and I had assumed that he had ran off, locked me inside as some joke. When he came out of the bathroom, he wasn't laughing anymore. I mean, poker face, rather stern expression. um, Rather, in a way, quite... ...a strange expression on his face. He wore like sort of robotic. Um, He came near me and he took my phone from my hand and quickly threw it away. I mean, then he forcibly thrusted towards me, forcibly thrusted me towards the bed. It was this insane blur, I mean, it was this mental lapse of things... ...as my brain wasn't able to acknowledge what was happening at that moment. So I wasn't even fighting back. I mean, he was on top of me on this bed and was trying to untie both his and my clothes... So I was frozen, both mentally and physically. I mean, I didn't think that this sort of fear can be categorised, but, I mean, I lost my voice. I mean, obviously, my attempts to trying to push him away wasn't working on his violent physical force on me, his arms, his... And all I could muster was, please, 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 stop, 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 stop. In a passing moment of trying to think my way out, I stopped struggling when he was on top of me, and I... And, um, to no avail, I started, um, guessing him back, which kind of took him by crazy surprise... I mean, my minor cooperation shocked him, and his um, strong physical force on me relaxed. I mean, he looked in my face with, like, a surprise, like, obviously, okay, so this girl is into this assault. I mean, like, she's consenting to it. I mean, obviously, I was, I had already mentally planned this. So I asked him if I can go to the bathroom. So he was fine, he gestured, okay. So it was when I had locked myself in the bathroom and started shouting like a maniac is when he realized my getaway plan. I think it probably took him 10 to 15 seconds to make a run for it himself and out of the room before anyone came to my rescue. And thus, um, I saved myself from this horrible incident. Uh, Rather, half saved myself. I mean, in hindsight, I kind of realized that the devils who are malevolent uh, are mostly in human forms rather than 400-year-old spectres of a haunted building.